We're continuing our series called Seeds. And we just talked about knowing Jesus and all there is of knowing Jesus and how much we want to know him more. And he's, he's our all. He's the best. He's everything. But let me ask you a question. Does anybody want more than what you already have? Anybody want more? Of course. Like, like, about, like we want more of Jesus. But I'm just saying you want more of other stuff too. Like anybody want, anybody want more money than what you already have? Anybody? Okay. I'm just seeing where we're at. Just a little check here. More money. How about uh, anybody want some more joy? Let's just get a little more spiritual. Anybody want some more joy than what you already have? A little more insight, a little more revelation. It's okay to want more in the proper way. It's okay to want more of, of certain things. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. It's one of the most famous stories when we're talking about seeds and the, the parables that Jesus told, and it's called the parable of the sower. And many of us know this, but let's read it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came, and they ate them. And other seeds, they fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seeds sprouted quickly because the, seed, the soil was uh, shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. But other seeds, they fell among thorns, and they grew up, but they were choked out, and they choked out the tender plants, and still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. How many of you guys want the... Good soil. <laughs> like, like when we're talking about wanting certain things in our life, we want the good soil type of thing. We want the seed to come into good soil. And, and I want you to pay attention to what is said there. It didn't say that it was 100% return. It said 100 times. It wasn't just 100%. It was 100 times return. How many of you guys would like that stock tip, right? I mean, if you knew it was going to be 100 times, right? I mean, so when we talk about more, here the, the scripture is talking about, now I know this isn't talking about money. This is actually talking about the word of God being planted in our heart and producing a harvest of many different things in our life. But how many of you guys would like maybe a hundred times more peace than what you currently have? Anybody want some of that? hundred times, I'm talking about a hundred times more joy than what you have. How about a hundred times more trust and faith in God than what you currently have? About a hundred times more patience than what you have right now. Anybody? Yeah, come on. Somebody drove here today, and they, yeah, there's other people on the road, evidently, but how about this? A hundred times more answered prayer than what you have. See, the picture that Jesus is painting here is that when the Word of God goes into good soil, big things happen. Like, a lot of things happen. But, but there is also a place in a context where it actually does talk about money in the context of big things. If you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you... Now, this is talking about money because this is talking about Paul getting, having people give to other people. And he's saying there's, there's a process in your giving. And this isn't a message on giving, by the way. But this is, I just wanted you to see that this applies to many aspects of our life. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, that covers all the bases, doesn't it? You, all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 
Now, I want you to hear this word as if Paul was saying it to you as a prophetic right now word to you in your situation. Let me read it again. And you receive this as if Paul is saying this directly to you. Here it is. He's talking to you. Hey, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, yes, you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance. Can somebody say abundance? An abundance for every good work. Doesn't leave anything out there, does it? An abundance for every good work. Now, I realize this is contextual based on, uh, I mean, first of all, based on where we live. So based on, where I, I live just outside of Liberty, so there's certain social economic sort of things that I am born into, I live in, stage of life issues, all those types of things. But I want to just ask you, do you feel like you have an abundance for every good work? Like right now, do you feel like you have an abundance for every good work? I want you to understand that God wants you to have an abundance for every good work. He wants you to have an abundance of joy, an abundance of peace, an abundance of resources for generosity. Again, this is contextualized based on calling, based on location, based on stages, based on the season. But still, it's right here. He says he wants you to have an abundance. You see, I think part of our issue is sometimes some people think that being poor is godly. And we end up with this poverty mentality. Now listen, there's a difference between living in simplicity. And some of us, our lives are so complex that we are so distracted. We need to simplify our lives. That, that's not what we're talking about here. But some people think that being poor, that actually poverty is godly. Well, let me just say this. If poverty were godly, then we need to stop helping the poor. Because what we're doing by helping the poor is we're actually working against God's will in their life if poverty is godly. What I'm saying is God doesn't have a problem with abundance. God actually has an issue with poverty because he's calling us to lift people out of poverty. He's causing, he, he says that he lifts the poor out of the ash heap. And I know maybe that's kind of hard for us to understand and grasp when we have all these complex thoughts about that, and I get that. What I'm saying is that God has no problem with abundance. He has a problem with poverty because he's working against it all the time. Jesus came to actually lift up the poor. God wants us to have an attitude of abundance no matter where we are at. And so we see this even over in John chapter 12. If you guys remember the story, Jesus is at somebody's house and then all of a sudden Mary, in verse 3, took a pound of expensive ointment and made, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I mean, this was costly oil. This was like a year's wages worth of oil of perfume in a bottle that she just lavishly wasted in that moment at the feet of Jesus. Now, even as much as Jesus cares about the poor and lifting them out, Jesus was so amazed by this woman's heart of abundant worship poured out upon him that he said she did a, a wonderful thing. And then there were others that, you know, if you're like, man, that should have been sold and given to the poor. Well, that's what Judas thought too. And Jesus rebuked him and said, no, 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 no. What she has done is a beautiful thing because she has demonstrated abundant worship towards me. 
You see, we ought to have a heart of abundance towards God, a heart of abundance towards other people, a heart of abundance. God has no problem with abundance. Greed and selfishness, yeah, you bet God has an issue with. And there lies the complexity for us, isn't it? Because so many of us, it's so easy for us to start with a a good heart of, of wanting an abundance, but then it easily slips into being greedy and selfish. And God certainly has a problem with greed and selfishness. And we need to constantly, in our culture, in our society, man, that is one of the big battles that we have, isn't it? It's just battling greed and selfishness. And so we live in the tension. I'm trying to paint the picture of the tension we live in. But also I want you to understand that just because we live in that tension, sometimes we pull back from an abundant way of thinking because we live in that tension. Let me just put it in this way. How many of you guys have kids? And how many of you guys want your kids to live in poverty? How many of you guys want your kids to barely make it by? How many of you guys want your kids to feel guilty when they get blessed with something? No, I don't know anybody who wants their kids to barely scrape by and feel like bad whenever they get anything. Can I just tell you that God is a way better parent than you are? (laughs) And God doesn't want that for his kids either. God wants you to live in joy. And can I say, abundant joy. God wants you to live in peace. And I would say, abundant peace. God wants you to live with a heart full of thankfulness, abundant thankfulness. You don't have to feel guilty about wanting an abundance of joy, peace, patience, goodness, all of those things that God wants you to have an abundance. You see, is there anybody here that wants to be a generous giver? And I'm not just talking about finance. I'm just talking about in your life. You want to be a generous person. If you want to be a generous person, if you want to be a giver, you must first have something to give. How can you give if you don't, I mean, how can you give if you don't have anything to give? If you don't have peace, how can you give peace? If you don't have joy, how can you give joy? You need to have an abundance of those things to be a giver. You have to have resources before you can give. You even have to have the resource of the gospel planted deep down inside of you before you can truly be a giver in that way. And so what I'm saying here this morning is that God has no problem with you thinking big God has no problem with you asking big. God has no problem with you praying big. And what I want to do is I want us to stretch our faith because some of us have been timid in what we've been believing God for. And please, don't just keep this in the area of finances because that's where we go as as a culture. I'm not just talking about that. I'm not just talking about your lifestyle, although it may include that. You may have a dream for a business God's put on your heart. You may have a dream for whatever. But I'm just saying some of us have these these things that we know are on our heart, but we've been tempted to shrink back because we thought, ah, that's too much to ask of God. Maybe there's a relationship situation in your life and you're like tempted that, ah, I'm not going to be able to believe. That's just maybe too much. That's just too much to ask of God. Maybe there's a breakthrough in your life that you've kind of hit this wall that you thought, ah, that's just too much, and you've shrunk back. What I'm trying to challenge us in today is take the walls off again. 
And what if God is the big God that he says he is? What if God is the big God who created everything we see by the words that he said? What if God is the God who is a God of miracles and of breakthrough? What if God is the God who can do above what we can even ask or even think? What if God is the God of the impossible? What if God is the miraculous God that we say that he is and that we read about that he is, but now it's time for us to experience him as he is? And so what I want us to do is to stretch our faith. If you've been shrinking back, maybe because you've had bad experiences, maybe because you've had unanswered prayer in the past, maybe because you feel guilty about stretching the borders, what I want you to do today is just get before God and say, God, if, what, what, what do you have me do? What do you have me pray for? What do you have me believe for? And so what we're going to do is take out that little paper that you've got. We put a paper on each sheet. This will come into play a little bit later on, but I'm going to have them put two minutes up on the clock. Two minutes can be a short time for some people. and can be an eternity for other people. But what I want you to do during these two minutes is just prayerfully listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to write down big, bold prayer requests. The things that you've been tempted to shy away from. The thing that you've maybe been hurt in the past and haven't had the courage to pray again. The thing that may seem too big for you and you started to think it might be too big for God. And there may be three or four, or you write, fill up the whole thing if you want. But during these two minutes, take time, pray, and listen for the full two minutes and write down whatever God brings to your mind. Let's put it up. Let's go. It might be, for you, it might be a prodigal son or daughter coming home. It might be a breakthrough in some area of your life, a 
breakthrough in a relationship, a marriage, whatever it is. What I want, I just really want you to hear that God is a God of abundance. I mean, Colossians says that he can do more than you could ever ask or even think or imagine or dream up. So whatever your situation is, it is not too big for God. Now, there are many reasons why we have not had answered prayer in the past, though. You know, and I'm not going to get into all those, but some of them just could be maybe you've been asking outside of God's will. You've asked to miss. Maybe it's a not yet, but it's coming. Maybe you can't see the full picture yet. I don't know. But, but I do know that there are some things that we need to do to cooperate with God to see a big harvest. If you want to see a big harvest, if you want to see a hundred times type of harvest in your life, then there are some things that we need to do. And so let's back it up a couple of scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Again, the context here is money, but it does apply to the seed principle of God that goes all the way through. See, sometimes when you're interpreting scripture, you, you take what it is, Zoom out in context, you get the context, and then you have to interpret the context of Scripture in the whole of Scripture. And you can see how it all ties together with what we talked about as of the law of the seed in the beginning of the series. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is saying that if you want that big, big harvest in your life, then you have to sow some big, big seeds. Let me put it this way. If you want a generous harvest, you have to sow seeds generously. But it also says each one has to decide in his heart what he's going to do. Because the law of the seed is still in effect, whether you like it or not, you decide whether you cooperate with the divine flow of how God works or not. And so what this is saying is that God has a part. Remember in Mark chapter 4, we read a couple weeks ago about how it's God that makes the seed grow. God has a part, but we also have a part. And one of our parts in this, seeing the harvest come to pass, seeing the prayers answered, seeing God do some, some amazing things in our life, is that we are to sow seeds. So let me recap. How many of you guys were here last week? Last week's message. Um, since I came off sabbatical, my hard heart message was one of my top messages personally for me as far as revelation what God has done in my life. But last week's message, I believe, is probably going to be one of the most consequential for Journey Church 2024 at least, maybe even beyond, as it was a seed in itself. But I basically talked about how many of us many times... Those of us who are Christians have allowed the word Christian to simply become an adjective of our life. It's just a title that we have, a box that we check. But there's this idea when Jesus said to go and make disciples, he didn't say go make Christians. He said go make disciples. And it wasn't converts. He didn't say go get people saved, even though that's part of it. That disciple, that word is such a deep, rich word that means an ongoing, active apprentice, a follower of Jesus in such a way that you follow him so closely and that you're, you're following after him in such a way that one day it becomes hard to tell the difference between you and him. <laughs> That's what discipleship is. It's this ongoing process. And so I said it this way, you may be a Christian, but are you a disciple? Because he said, go and make disciples. And 
And I talked about three different words that are involved in the process. If you want to be an ongoing disciple, not just a Christian as an adjective or title on your, your resume, but a disciple that's an active, ongoing, in the flow, on the go, on the journey with Jesus type disciple, then there's some things that are going to be involved. The first word is encounter. It's like when you have the revelation by the Spirit of God and all of a sudden just peels back something open in your heart and all of a sudden you can see God in a deeper way. It's Isaiah, woe is me, for I am a man undone. It is Saul on the road to Damascus where everything changes. He sees the light and everything begins to change. It's like when you're reading the Word of God and something comes alive and just active because the Word of God is living and active. It's like when you have a breakthrough in some area of your life. It's like you've got the soil that's ready and it's like, boom, instant harvest. And all of a sudden it just happens. We need those encounter-type moments with God. Many of you have had encounter moments with God right here in this room in the anointed presence of God where something changed. How many of you guys can just say that something has happened where you had a word spoken or something God broke through? Yeah, look around at hands that have happened right here in this room. That You are going to have encounters with God that are going to be like a spike in your spiritual growth chart. But then we talked about the word formation. You need encounter, but you also need Formation. Formation is when we begin to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, where we begin to be formed into the way of the cross, into sacrificial love. We begin to be formed into the culture and the ways and the nature of the kingdom of God. This is when the Spirit of God is at work in us in such a way that we start to produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control out of our natural default reactions and responses without having to think about it. When something challenges us, what comes out of us is automatically kingdom of God's stuff. That's formation, fellowship of the believers. There are things that can only happen when you get around other believers. These are called the one another's in Scripture. You can't avoid them. You will only be formed fully in the way of Jesus when you get around some one another's and you have to forgive one another. You have to love one another. You have to humble yourself around one another. You have to confess to one another. These things form us into the way of Jesus. The spiritual disciplines, things that are ancient practices that Jesus did and the early church fathers did, things like prayer, meditation on the word of God, silence and solitude, confession, fasting, all of these things. These are low and slow. Like, how many of you guys love, love barbecue stuff, love to smoke meat and stuff like that? This is the low and slow process of spiritual growth. But just like barbecue, it's worth it. <laughs> and then, so you, you need encounter, you need formation, but we also need mission. This is the outpouring of what God has poured in. This is when you start to share your faith with other people. This is when you use spiritual gifts. Like we saw, it's an outflow. Spiritual gifts are for other people. This is when you start discipling other people. This is when you step out onto your mission field, whatever that is, whether it's your next door neighbor or across the world. This is when you go on mission, when you start to pour out. You need encounter formation and mission. The problem is a lot of people, they have an encounter with God they skip formation, and they go straight to mission. And so what we have are people who have had a genuine encounter with God and who are trying to be on mission with God but have not been formed into the way of God. And when you're trying to do the mission of God but you haven't been formed into the way of God, then what we have is people who are Christian in name only but not active disciples. And so what you do have to give, it can be shallow at times because there's no formation. Or it can be short-lived at times. Or it can, be, 
get to this place where it just loses the power that it once had. So that was last week's message. If you missed that, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. But what I think can happen is the same thing in the idea of a harvest. We're over here and we see the harvest. So many of us, we skip sowing seeds and we just expect a harvest. We skip sowing the seeds and we just expect that God is just going to do anything, whatever he wants. We have this misplaced idea of the sovereignty of God that turns more into fatalism than it actually is into the way God operates. Or we just say, assume that anything that happens must be God's will. Well, if I get the job or I don't get the job, I guess that must be God's will. As if we have no part to play in the discernment or walking it out. And we turn into a, an unbiblical fatalism and we label it sovereignty. But there's a part for us to play. This is the law of the seed and we have to do this by faith. You sow seeds by faith when you can't see what's happening. You sow seeds by faith when it doesn't seem like it's working. You sow seeds by faith when it's the underground and it doesn't seem like it's making a difference. But you sow by faith because it's the way of God. So if you want God to be generous to you, what God is saying here is you start being generous to other people. God's always going to be faithful on his end. He's just looking to see if you're going to be faithful on your end. If, if you want more peace... What he's saying here is that you start sowing seeds of peace in your relationship right now. If you want a peaceful relationship with somebody, you sow seeds of peace even when you're not getting peace back. Even when it looks like what you're doing doesn't matter. Even when it looks like it's disconnected from the end result, you sow seeds of peace. If you want to hear, how many of you guys want to hear more of God's voice? Anybody want to hear more of God's voice? I'd love to. Guess, guess what this means? This means you start sowing seeds by being in the secret place, as the Bible calls it. You get in your prayer closet with God, as the scriptures say. You get alone with God, and you get into a place of listening. But if you never get into a place of listening on a regular basis, you may not hear the voice of God as often. See, what sowing seeds by faith is, it's like I say I want to hear more from God. That means I'm going to put myself in the quiet place over and over and over and over and over. I'm going to sow that seed every single day. And I don't feel like it, I'm going to keep sowing that seed. It doesn't feel connected, I'm going to keep sowing that seed. It doesn't feel like there's any results, I'm going to keep sowing that seed. I haven't heard anything from God for two years, I'm going to keep sowing that seed. Because one day the harvest is coming. That's the law of God. That's the principle of God. But we have to sow seeds. And if you want a generous harvest, then you have to start sowing some generous seeds. I found, since my sabbatical, I found out that I spent a lot of time, obviously, in silence and solitude and prayer and stuff. But I'd kind of gotten loose with my rhythms over the last few months. And so I've been reclaiming that again and just getting back. It's like, no, 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 no. I've got to get back into the secret place. The seed principle is God's principle. But here's what happens. So many of us, we want to harvest and we get impatient. And here's what rebellion is. Rebellion is trying to get something that is of God in a way that's not of God. That goes all the way back to the garden, by the way. Like to, to be able to, to know good and evil and to know all this type of stuff. There wasn't anything wrong with them knowing these things. 
But they were just trying to satisfy a desire. Most sin is all it's trying to do is trying to satisfy a godly desire in an ungodly way. And so this is the principle of God. But you can't accomplish the work of God outside of the way of God. And so what I'm saying today, and this, and this is like my challenge right now, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> like, this is my challenge. Can we just be honest if some of us know we want to harvest, but we know we're not putting in the reps. We know we're not putting, sowing the seeds. Just be honest before God with that and just say, God, I know. Just even right now, just God, I know. I know I'm expecting a big harvest, and you certainly are good in your mercy, and you could by mercy give me a big harvest, but I know, honestly, I'm not sowing the seeds. So how do, how do you do this? How do you, how do you, because we're all busy. We all got stuff going on. We've got, like, how do you prioritize this stuff? This leads me to the second thing. The second thing is this. You have to know the difference between bread and seed. All right, 2 Corinthians, what does this mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Here it says, he, that's God, God supplies, watch this, seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and incre increase the harvest of your righteousness. What he's saying is that when something comes into your life, there's two things at work. God gives you bread to eat, but he also gives you seed to sow. Your job is to get before God and determine what God is bringing into your life. Is this bread to eat or is this seed to sow? We're tempted to believe that everything God brings into our life is bread, aren't we? Well, God brought all this, you know, all this into my life. This must be bread for me to eat. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm supplying you, but I'm supplying you in two categories. Bread to eat, this is for you, but there's seed to sow. This is to go out because everything that God brings into my life is not for me. You see, sometimes God wants to give it to you and sometimes God wants to give it through you. And you've got to, through walking with God, learn how to hear the voice of God. Because, and let me just put it this way, some of my time is bread for me to use and some of my time is seed for me to sow. Some of my money is bread for me to use, and some of my money is seed for me to sow. Some of my days are bread for me to use, and some of my days are seed for me to sow. Let me even put it in a different way. Some parts of my relationship are bread for me, and some are seed. Let me just explain that. You see, when you're in relationship, like if I'm in relationship with my wife, there's a part of that relationship that is bread for me in the sense that I can just enjoy receiving and being served and being loved. But there's also a part of that relationship that's seed for me to sow. And if I think that relationship in my life is just all bread for me, what's going to happen? I'm going to become a very self-centered, selfish person. That ain't going to work very well, is it? See, so many of us, we just think all of our relationships are bread for us. All of our friendships are bread for us. Some of us think the church is just bread for us. You know, there's, part of this church is seed for you to sow. You, some of my prayer life. You realize some of my prayer life is just it's bread for me? 
for me to just enjoy the presence of God, for me to make my petitions, for me to take that card and to bring it before God. But some of my prayer life ought to be seed being sown for other people, where I begin to pray for other people. If your prayer life isn't uh, partially seed, then you're doing it wrong. Some of reading your Bible, you know, reading your Bible, some of us think reading our Bible is all bread. No, sometimes reading my Bible is bread for me, but sometimes you ought to be reading your Bible with an ear for seed to sow to other people. Because God doesn't want to just bring bread into your life. He wants you to not just become a disciple. He wants you to become a disciple maker, right? So there's a difference between bread and seed. And we have to know the difference between bread and seed. And if you always eat all the seed that comes into your life that God supplies, then you've got a big problem. It starts this cycle where you always need something new. So I'm going to illustrate this in a different way and uh, just tell you a story. I think it's more fun if I illustrate it. So two-minute video, check it out. All right, so when we moved down here about, I don't know, 17 years ago now, we lived in a rental house, and I had four young kids at the time. And when you live in a rental house, you gotta pay a deposit, and there's a reason you need to pay a deposit, because you have four kids that are probably gonna mess up that house in some way. And so we ended up moving out of that house and, and into a house that we bought. And it was sometime later that I got a piece of mail in a letter in the mail and it was unexpected totally unexpected and I was like it was the deposit or most of the deposit back and I was just shocked I'm like how in the world do we have most of the deposit back when I know what happened to that house with our our kids and all that stuff and so I'm like celebrate I'm like this is awesome and so then the very literally the very next piece of mail that I picked up was an unexpected bill for almost the same amount as the unexpected provision. See, what a lot of us do sometimes is we will, uh, is God will bring something into our life like that, and we think it's bread. We think it's just something for us to con consume, and we end up squandering on different things. And then a need comes, and we're like, where were you, God? Where's, where's the provision when God literally provided, but we did not recognize it as seed or even as provision. We just thought everything was bread. And so then we end up squandering it, and then all of a sudden we're, we're in need of a miracle. When What happens is when you constantly eat your seed or eat the provision God provides instead of using it properly in the way that God wants us to use it, then you're always in need of more miracle bread. The more you eat the seed, the more you need miracle bread to keep coming. And man, miracles are awesome. We love a good miracle story. But God did not intend for us to live miracle to miracle. God intend for us for, intends for us to be people of blessing to blessing, of faith to faith, of strength to strength, of glory to glory, so that when you come to your mailbox, you don't always have to be like in desperate need of some miracle provision. It's because you've recognized what is seed and what is bread, and that you can live from the overflow and live blessing to blessing. Amen. See, some of us, we just like that, mer that mailbox miracle type living. And that, that could be fun for a while, but have you guys know that's also stressful. God wants you to live out of the abundance, out of the overflow. But you've got to know the difference between bread and seed. All right, so let's wrap this up. Let's say that you've done all that. Let's say that you're sowing seeds. Let's say that you know the difference between bread and seed. Let's say that you've got seed in the ground. Maybe it's... Uh, prayers or encouragement to other people or generosity or your time or maybe you've sown in tears as the Bible has said and you're, maybe you're serving others whatever it is for you you got seed in the ground and nothing is happening 
See, some of us have seed in the ground and nothing is happening. Some people have put it this way in the past. Let me just put it this way. I think it would be helpful. Don't dig up in fear what was planted in faith. If you've planted the seed in faith, but nothing is happening, don't dig up. Don't panic and start digging up your seed. Say, this isn't working. See, some of us are bankrupting our harvest by prematurely digging up our seeds out of impatience. So we stop sowing seeds, or we start something new. We distract ourselves with something else. We create an Ishmael. You know, if you guys know the story of Abraham who had the promise of Isaac, but then he just couldn't wait. There. He just couldn't wait longer, so they created Ishmael, and that created all sorts of problems. We create an Ishmael of some sort. Or we get cynical. We get bitter at other people. We get jealous at other people's lives because they seem to get their harvest and we never seem to get ours. Come on, I, I ain't talking to anybody here, am I? I mean, what, I, what I'm saying is this. Please hear me. God is more than enough for you in the gap between seed and harvest. He's more than enough. You may be in the gap right now because the seed goes underground and you just can't see it, but he's more than enough. He will take care of you emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of those things. He's more than enough. Remember, we see this in the Old Testament principle, how every seventh year in the land of Israel that, that the, the people of God were commanded to let the ground rest and not plant on it on the seventh year. This was a huge act of faith, by the way. In an agricultural society, you didn't plant for a year. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 19, it says, the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. That's, by the way, a prophetic word to them before he tells them what's next. He said, it, it will happen. It, he goes on and says, but if you say, well, what shall we eat in the seventh year? I mean, if we're not planting anything, what should we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? And Here's God, he says, I will command my blessing on you that in the sixth year, so that the, it will produce a crop sufficient for three years, is what he's saying. So that when you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You, will, you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. What he's saying is that God is going to make the harvest in year six so huge that it will be enough for year six, seven, and eight. But even still, like that's, that's a pretty big gift from God, right? If you can see it, like how many times did God ask you to step out when you can't see it, right? But here he's even asking them to step out when he's going to provide. They're going into the sixth year. They're going to see this huge harvest. Oh, this is, they calculated up. Oh, this will work for six, seven, and eight. But even in that, there's still a fear, isn't there? Something's going to happen to this. Some raiding army might come in. Some plague might come. Some, some you know... A na you know, some natural something can happen to this. How many of you guys have ever had money in the bank and worried about money? And imagine, even if you have stuff there, even if you have the abundance sitting there, imagine what it was like in year seven when it's sowing time. 
Anybody tempted to doubt God's word a little bit? It's like, I want an insurance policy here a little bit. I'm going to just drop some accidentally or something like that. Like, hopefully that gets in the ground, you know? Because what happens, I mean, you get down to harvest time, if something happens, you're dead if, if you, you got nothing. What's the principle here? The principle is when God asks you to sow a seed and you are in between seed and harvest, that God's provision is enough, whether you feel like it, whether you see it, whether you know it, whether you can sense it, his provision is enough. He gives you enough peace to last through year six, seven, and eight. He gives you enough joy to last through years six, seven, and eight. He will provide through six, seven, and eight. Don't dig up your seed. Don't panic your way out of a harvest. Don't panic your way out of God's will because if you trust God with the seed, he will bless you with the harvest. If you're obedient to God, he will make up the difference. You see, the space between sowing and reaping is not called waiting. The space between sowing and reaping is called trust. There may actually be a lot of activity you do during the space between sowing and reaping. I mean, in this case, he told them don't do anything, but there may be a lot of activity that happens. But it's not called waiting. It's simply called trust. And isn't that what it means to walk by faith? It's when you can't see. When the seed's underground, you can't see it. You're not waiting, you're trusting. What if God blessed the seed so much that you could just rest in him? You know, back to the parable of the sower, it says that one of the, the seeds fell on a certain part and there was no root. You see, when there's no root, there will be no fruit. It will not sustain. Eugene Peterson, some of you guys know him because he wrote the Bible, the message version, by the way. It's a joke. You can laugh. It's not a good one. But he also wrote a book about discipleship. And his definition of discipleship was this. A long obedience in the same direction. Isn't that what following Jesus is? It's like I said yes, and I'm not saying no. Isn't that what marriage is? I said yes, I'm not saying no. I'm just, it's a long obedience. It's the picture that we're given in the scriptures. So as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to read one last uh, section of scripture. This is a very, for, for me, I've heard this scripture many times, a thousand times. And when I'm, what I'm tempted to do when I hear a scripture a thousand times is for it to lose its power. But if you're like me, please, please don't let this lose its power because there's still a principle here that is absolutely true and has absolutely encouraged me and lifted me up so many times. Galatians chapter 6 Verse 7 and 8 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What it's saying here is that don't get cynical and mock God and say, oh, it doesn't work this time. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And then this scripture that is just ministered to me so many times. Let it minister to you today, fresh and anew. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do not grow weary and panic your way out of a harvest. One last thing I want us to do, take that card. This is just a card for you. 
It's just a card for you. And write today's date on it. It's so today, the 22nd, right? So 10, 22, 23. This now becomes a marked moment. It's a marked moment. This becomes something that, if appropriate, you put up on your refrigerator. If it's not, if it's a personal thing, you just kind of put that tucked away somewhere where only you and God can see it. This is something you take into your prayer closet and it's a marked moment. And it's a point of faith. It's a point of faith. Would you stand up with me? I want to do one more thing before we worship. If you want someone to pray over your seed that you are holding, would you just lift up your hand? If you want somebody just to agree with you in prayer for whatever that is, all right, hands up all over. That's, that's great. No one else is going to see this prayer request. It's just you. All right. This is going to be challenging to do, but I think it can be done. If you see somebody with their hand up, would you go over and just place your hand on their shoulder? Find somebody to agree with in prayer right now. And if you're standing next to somebody with their hand up, you can put your hand on their shoulder if you want and begin to pray, pray for them. Yeah. Hand up, can still pray for somebody. Move around the building, it's fine. Somebody move around, get out of your seat. We'll do this really, really quick. But if you have your hand up, find somebody. Find somebody to pray for that has their hand up. And if you don't have anybody, I'm praying for you. Just begin, you don't know their prayer request, but just begin to pray that God would encourage them. That God's, God is faithful. God, we know that you are a faithful God. And we pray that this is an anointed moment in the presence of God where a seed of faith has been dropped into our heart. A seed of new hope has been dropped into our heart. The seed is going to produce a harvest. We just declare that you are a faithful God. That you are a faithful God. We declare right now for fresh hope to rise up, for encouragement, for strength. Right now we just declare that all the things, all the good things that you've put in our heart are coming to pass even while we can't see it even when it's in the underground we declare that they are coming to pass even when we can't see it we walk by faith and not by sight Lord we spend our time in between seed and harvest not in waiting not in worrying not in wondering but we spend our time in trusting in faith in hoping in dreaming and Lord we just declare that you are good because you are who you say you are and we respond right now in worship in Jesus' name.